Praise the Lord. The stories that we have in the life of this church just need to be told. So we're going to do that. And I, I want to do what that pastor did with you, Hi. I want to talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about how he can change our lives. This, this is um, Christmas Sunday morning, the, the, the Sunday morning before Christmas. And some of you know that all this past week, I've been asking people in the neighborhood or I've been asking some of our pastors and staff. I've even put it on Facebook, uh, th- this question. What do you think most Southern Californians would say when you ask him the question, why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born? You can think about that. I've gotten so many answers. Um, they, they fall into a couple of categories. One of them is the category of, I don't know. Uh, it's just a legend, isn't it? Or it's much more, especially when I ask it as a pastor. Uh, why are you asking me that question? You know, wanting to hold me at arm's length. Uh, the other one, and I think the most that I've gotten have been in this kind of a category. He came to uh, teach us how to live. You know, to give us peace and goodwill and to show us how we're supposed to live and to bring us some good news. And that's true, of course. Uh, Those who have been more churched have said something like, well, I think he came to save us. But when you say from what, from what, most people don't want to go down that path with you. But some of us, especially church folks, say, well, to save us from our sins or to forgive us from our sins. Now, this Christmas season, you know what I've been wanting to do. We've been in this series where Jesus says, I am. And I've been wanting to ask Jesus to answer the question of who he is, but also in that why he's come. And so today we come to some of his last words about that. One of his last I am statements. It's found in some words that he spoke in John 13 and 14. Um, It was in his farewell discourse. That's what this is called. The, the, the last words of Jesus with his, uh, with his disciples. And essentially, if I can boil it down, I want you to think about this. Why was Jesus born? On this, on this Christmas Sunday, what would you say yourself? And I just want to put this in front of you. I, I believe that Jesus said that he came to give us a personal knowledge of God. Now, these other reasons, he did come to show us how to live. He did come to to die for our sins, but even in that dying for our sins, that's so that we can have a personal knowledge of God. You see, the heart of this Christian faith is just that, that you and I have the privilege of being able to know the God who made the universe and to know him as our Abba, as our Father, what God wants to offer us and what Jesus says we need more than anything else is a deep Genuine, honest, transparent, growing, personal knowing of God. I think everything else is secondary to that. Everything else flows out of that. When you and I know God and he's in the center of our lives, it begins to reshape, even as I talked about, the way we look at people. Uh, The way we treat individuals, the way that we look at life. Now, what we're going to do in the the few moments that we have is in this uh, last part of Jesus' teaching of his disciples, we're going to see him talking with three of his closest followers, uh, Peter, um, then Thomas, and then Philip. 
We're going to find out that even though Jesus kept saying to them over and over again, consistent answer, I have come so that you may know God, trust me, believe me, see me, see the Father, know me, know the Father. That's not really what they wanted. So I've been a little afraid about preaching that even today. When I say, here's why Jesus came, so that you could personally know God, you may say, well, I was really coming to church for something else. Kind of like Peter, what he says I I really want to have is some more success or some victory over this uh, uh, Roman government and a place of authority. Uh, Thomas, well, I'd really like to have some answers to my intellectual questions. Philip says, I just want an experience. And Jesus says, I'm going to start with what you really need. I have come that you may know God. So as we get ready for that, let's look again at his words. Uh, Jeff and Justin read these for us, but... Starting with Thomas in John 14, verse 5, this is what we read. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way to get there? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, You will know my father as well. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip said, Lord, just show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. All right, I'm going to ask just three simple questions. Number one, why is this so important? Why is it that I don't think you and I can really live unless we know God? Why is that so important? Number two, why does it seem to be so hard for us, even those of us who go to church, to really know God personally? What what, what blocks that? And then third, I'm just going to say, what are the things your pastor would like you to learn from this? So there's pretty simple questions, right? So first, why is this matter of knowing God personally, so important. And I'll just begin with one of the basic biblical teachings, and that is you and I are human. And as human beings, we have been made in the image of God. And a part of being made in the image of God is that you and I are made to be most alive when we have deep, healthy, honest relationships. We are made for relationships. Because we're made in God's image. And it takes us all the way back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, where from the beginning to the very end, God reveals himself as one God. He's one God, but God has always existed in three persons. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when you think about this, I've talked about this before. When you think about this, even though there's one God, God has never been lonely. God has never been alienated or isolated from relationship. God has always existed in relationship. So when you open Genesis 1 and 2, uh, you get to, to day, through day 6, and, and it's good. And then you read on into Genesis chapter 2, and finally you see there's one thing that's not good. The one thing that's not good, it wasn't good for the man, for Adam, to be alone. It was okay for other things to be alone. It wasn't good for a man to be alone. And do you know why? Because we are made in God's image. And for us really to be alive, we need to have good relationships. So God made a woman out of the side of the man, one like him, also made in the image of God. And then things were very good. 
Things were very good. The relationships were because you and I are made for relationships and we know it, don't we? Whenever, whenever you get with some close friends, I mean, I'm hoping this happens on the bus trip, Jeff, to, uh, when you're there with friends, those long trips, if you're in good relationships, they, they pass, they pass so quickly. You begin to have dinner together at six and suddenly you look at your watch, it's two o'clock in the morning. Where did the time go? Have you ever had that happen? It's got the relationships. That's when we're really alive. And you also know when everything else is good, but a close relationship is broken. And it feels like nothing, nothing is good. So Jesus is going to say that the relationship that is most basic to us really being alive is the relationship to God. And that it's only when God, the implication is only when God is brought back in and we begin to reshape our lives after him that everything else starts coming together. So with that in mind. Look at what happened in the text. Did you notice Jesus seemed to be a bit dismayed by the fact that Philip didn't seem to know him? Philip, how can it be that I've been with you so long and you still don't know me? I'm going to tell you something. It becomes clear to me that you and I can go to church a lot. We can hear a lot of sermons. Yes, even mine. We can sing a lot of songs. We can even be involved in serving in in the church and doing a lot of good things in the community and still not know God personally. Does does that scare you at all? Uh, No, I'm glad we have one. (laughs) I want you to think, I'm going to try to do a little better then. Uh, Philip was an insider. He was an insider. Just he had been with Jesus. He had listened to Jesus teach. He'd seen the miracles. He'd gone out and done things. He had fed the hungry. He had prayed for the sick. He had cast out demons. And he had preached the gospel. But he'd missed the main thing. And it shows me you, we can do all sorts of things for Jesus and still not know him at all. Uh, years ago, I heard a preacher say this. There's all the difference in the world between knowing about someone. And really knowing someone. You know that that's true? Now, let's, let's get this right. Uh, if you're going to know someone personally, you do need to know something about that person. Uh, almost all of our relationships start that way. Uh, whenever you start becoming interested in dating a person, it usually just starts out the first time you get with them. You, you need to get to know the name, right? Uh, where you're from, a little of the background. Just get to know a little bit about a person. That. Because if you don't know about a person, you don't, can't get to know them. If you try to, to, to say, I know a person, but you don't know about them, it can really mess things up. Can you imagine if you and I started to get to know one another? And I said, well, my name is Greg. It's obvious, but I'm a white male. And I'm a pastor, and I'm from West Virginia. And you say, well, that's all fine. But, you know, I don't want to relate to you that way. I want to relate to you as if you are a woman of color, an investment, successful investment banker who's very generous and from Paris, because that would be a lot more interesting than West Virginia. (laughs) What kind of relationship would this be? You see, you need to know about in order to have a true relationship. And so you need to know something about Jesus if you're going to know him. And that's why we've been doing this December, hearing Jesus say, I am. 
I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. We've been hearing him say that. So you can have a knowledge about a person without knowing them, but you can't really know a person unless you know about that person. You see that? That's why teaching about God, opening this word, is so essential. You really can't know God, the God for whom you're made, unless you hear what he says about himself. It's important to be here. It's important for you to become a student of that word. But the message is clear. You can know everything in this book and still not know God personally. And the way to really live is to know God personally. Listen to Jesus' words in John 17. This is eternal life. I mean, real living. God, that that people know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, the reason why this is so important is that it's only when you enter into a personal relationship with God that other pieces of your life start coming together. Now, when you move, you know how it is in a relationship, too. You begin by just knowing about you go to dinner and you just talk about those basic things about who you are. But eventually, isn't there a time that comes where that thing deepens? And you stop just talking about my name is this and I'm from this place and this is my major in school. Until you start talking about what's important to you. You start getting into one another's life and and holding one another accountable. And, 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 and suddenly that relationship moves from just a head knowledge into a friendship. And when a true relationship begins, you know it's a real relationship. When that relationship to that person starts changing your life, you want to be with that person. Uh, you want to please that person. And that's the way it is with God. And when God comes into the center of your life, and we begin having our lives change Because we know him, because we want to please him, everything begins to hold together. Now, I've been wondering, how do I illustrate this? And I found a video from a TED Talk, and I want you to to see this. Because over the past three to four years, composer Eric Whitaker, uh, he's done some work here at USC. He's a, a classical composer and conductor has been engaging in a number of projects. They're called a virtual choir project. And anybody younger here, you've probably seen some of them because they are a YouTube phenomenon. I mean, millions of hits on this. It all started with a young girl named Britlin Lose from um, Long Island, New York, who sent in to Eric Whitaker a, a, a fan video. Because in the in video, I'm going to show you, he looks a little bit like a movie star. You'll, you'll see it. Set it in, and and she took one of his pieces and sang it a cappella. And he got the idea that maybe he could have other people send in videos like that. And maybe he thought we can put together a virtual choir. Let's just watch it for a moment, see what you think. This is Cheryl Ang from Singapore. This is Evangelina Etienne. From Massachusetts. Stephen Hansen from Sweden. 
is Jamal Walker from Dallas, Texas. There was even a little soprano solo in the piece, and so I had auditions. And a number of sopranos uploaded their parts. I was told later, and also by uh, lots of singers who were involved in this, that they sometimes recorded 50 or 60 different takes until they got just the right take. They uploaded it. Here's our winner of the soprano solo. This is Melody Myers from Tennessee. smile she does right up at the top of the note like yeah no problem everything's fine <laughs> and from the crowd uh, emerged this young man Scott Haynes and he said listen I this is the project I've been looking for for my whole life I'd like to be the person to edit this all together I said thank you Scott I'm so glad that you found me and Scott aggregated all of the videos he scrubbed the audio he made sure that everything lined up and then we posted this video to YouTube about a year and a half ago. This is Luke's Arumque, sung by the Virtual Choir. beautiful that is beautiful now as amazing as this is can you see that this could not have been done just by random people bringing things together it, it took one person to pull it all together one person had to determine what's the melody that's going to be sung one person had to determine at what pace at what rhythm will it be done one person had to determine what key is it going to be sung in, and even the tuning had to be tuned to the A440 tuning reference. Then you needed one person to get an editing master to mix it and a tech master to assemble the videos. If you hadn't had that happen, this would have been a mess. Can you imagine, at the, in, in the last project, they had almost 4,000 people send in videos from 73 different nations. Can you imagine them saying, well... Why do I have to sing the melody that he wrote and the key he wrote? I, I'm going to sing in whatever I want. And, and, and it all has to just sort of fit together. It would have been a mess. How much of a mess? As much of a mess as our world would be if everybody thinks we can have a beautiful and good world. And I can determine what's good. And I can determine what is beautiful myself. And I'm just going to do whatever I want. And it's all going to fit together. I tell you, it doesn't work that way. God has made us and he has made us to know him so that when we bring him into the center of our lives and those disparate parts of our own lives that often seem to be so messed up, we don't know how they're going to fit together, begin to come together as we focus our attention on becoming more like him and living the way he made us to live. And in this world, it's when people focus their idea upon God, putting him at the center of their lives, getting to know him, his ways and his word. 
that people's lives with all the various gifts and sounds and talents can come together. And when people committed to God and with God at the center of their lives come into community, something incredibly beautiful happens. It's what the church is supposed to be. And what's going to happen is when God is done, he's going to have people from every tribe, language and nation. How is that going to be a beautiful thing? It's going to be a beautiful thing. Because God is the one who is at the center of each life. And as we are being shaped by him, it will be as beautiful as this choir is. Jesus came so that we can know God and that our lives can come together. And eventually there will be a community in which there is no longer any injustice, no longer any war, no longer any disease or death. Instead, God will rule. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God, the rule of God. And when he rules in our lives, then beauty begins to happen. Anyone believe that? No, we believe that. And I got more than one amen with that. Let's face it, too. It's hard for us to surrender our lives fully to the lordship of Christ, right? And to know him. I think even churchgoers, we are more comfortable in just knowing about rather than getting to know deeply. Philip is, is too real to too many of us, right? So why is it that we find it so hard to get deeper and deeper into our relationship with God? Our, our time's going quickly, so let me just mention quickly just some of the problems that I see in our world and see if any of these might be true of you and your own walk with God. Uh, number one, I, I'm calling it continuous partial attention. CPA. I think I've got some of that happening today. Continuous partial attention. <laughs> a CPA is something that people are talking about in our day, especially. And any of you who are, you know, 40 or younger, you'll understand this well. What it has to do with is that a lot of information comes in from various sources in our lives. And so much of it comes to us that it all has to stay at a superficial level. Some people say, oh, that's like multitasking. No, it isn't like multitasking. Moms, you're fantastic multitaskers. You can focus on one thing and then focus on another to accomplish things. This CPA has to do with just wanting to make sure that you're connected with all the information is out there. A streaming, a constant streaming of, of Twitter feeds and of Facebook messages and of texts and emails that have come. And the result of that has been according to many sociologists like Stephen Johnson, ever more superficial relationships and fewer deep relationships. Now, you've all seen it. You go down to a coffee shop. You'll sometimes see four friends sitting there around a table, and they're not one of them's looking the other one in the eye. They're all looking at the phone and texting and receiving many superficial messages and the relationship of looking and touching never goes deep. MIT professor Sherry Turkle has written a profound book about this. I recommend it highly. It's called Alone Together. Alone Together. And the subtitle, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. She says these hundreds or thousands of connections via technology often make people think, I have companionship, but it leaves them feeling isolated. She said it's created a new kind of solitude. She said people long for deep, intimate relationships, but we're developing ways of life 
in which we have none of those. I, I was talking with Mindy Lewis, one of our Pepperline students, just back from um, uh, Germany and doing a program over there. And she said it sort of happens like this. You enter into a Facebook relationship and you friend people. And suddenly you have a thousand or two thousand friends. But then when you get the information, some of them you just do a like. So it goes a little deeper. And then maybe it's a little bit more. You'll see a message come and you'll even put a little quick answer back on it. Or sometimes you might even post something on their wall and then it really gets deep. You send a specific message to that person. But what Turkle says is even when it goes as deep as it might, they're first awfully brief messages. And also we are creating, we're editing ourselves so that we can have that person see only what we want them to see of us. That necessity when we're actually sitting with one another and talking with one another, sometimes to show what we're like, wrinkles and warts and all, just can never happen. And what Turkle says is that this, uh, this, ever, uh, this barrage of communications has pushed people closer to their machines and further away from one another. I remember when I was a university president talking with students They would so often talk about, we want deeper community. Big word in our day. We even want mentoring relationships that a pattern of life is being established where we can't even have those. So that you're sitting with one another in a mentoring relationship, but you're keeping contact with all the information coming in. Now, those of us older, we have the same problems. But filling up our lives with so much stuff that the ability to have a deep relationship, even with God, has become very difficult for us. Second problem, hiddenness. Hiddenness. You know what I mean? In order to have a real relationship, we've got to open up who we are. And yet most of us have parts of our lives that we feel shame about or guilt about. And what happens? We hide that. We try to hide it from ourselves. We try to hide it from other people and from God as well. But when we hide those parts of ourselves, the relationship can go no deeper than that. And that means there's only a partial relationship. It all started back in Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, Open, honest relationship with God in Genesis 2. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they were ashamed. And where, where do we find them? hiding in the bushes. What a silly thing where the God who made all that stuff comes walking through. And we've been hiding ever since, trying to hide things from God, trying to hide things from those around us. And when there is hiddenness, deep relationship is almost impossible. Uh, Third problem. I didn't know what to call it, but you'll know what it means. Self-entrenchment. You know what that means? That means that we we sort of know that if we enter into a relationship with the all-powerful, all-holy God, that he's the only one who can be God, right? And we don't like to lose control. And indeed, he will take over and reshape us if we enter into a relationship with him. I've thought about it this way. There's all the difference in the world between dealing with a powerful thing and dealing with a powerful person like God. If, if, if somebody puts a powerful bomb in my office, then I'll hope to get somebody to come in and disarm it. But if God enters into my life, he will disarm me. And that's what he does. And so it means surrender. And because we don't always want to surrender, 
We don't even want to get that close to him. We don't want to get that close to him. So I think sometimes this matter of self-entrenchment, I want to keep living my way, and I'll enter into a relationship with God if he will give me what I want. And sometimes we're almost afraid to enter in because we say, but if I, if I enter into a relationship with God, will he change the way I handle my money? Will he change the way I engage in my sexual relationships? And what Jesus says is, where you have to start is entering into that relationship with God. And when you know him, you will know that he is to be trusted. And what on this side of the relationship seems like it's distasteful and something I'd never want. When you know him, it's where true life is to be found. Uh, How many times have I said it during my time here? Jesus did not come into this world to ruin your life. He came so that you can really live. So sometimes we put those things up. If you'll first answer my question, that's exactly what what these three men did. Uh, uh, Peter, will he uh, go ahead and give me a place of authority? Will he give me a better job if I if I follow him? Uh, uh, Thomas, will he answer my intellectual questions first? Answer my intellectual questions, then I'll open my life up to him. Philip, I just want an experience. Can I have a great experience and then maybe I'll follow him? And Jesus keeps saying, no, no, no. Consistent answer every time. Trust me, see me, know me. And then you will find that I am good. I think self-entrenchment keeps us from trusting God. And finally, I know there's some that you just haven't heard the message before. How, how can you hear unless somebody teaches and opens up this word? And so today I tell you, there is a God. And the God is not just distant and out there. He created this world and he has entered into this world. This God loves you with an everlasting love. Christmas is about the fact that God himself came in the person of Jesus and was willing to live the life none of us has lived and then pay the punishment that we deserve for our sins on the cross and offer to all who trust in him a relationship to God. A relationship that shapes us and changes us. Our time's gone. What do I want you to do with this message? I'll just give a few statements. I want us to be a group of people who seek God. Who take time every day in our lives to give full attention to the presence of God. I think this means some intentional decisions we have to make every day uh, to turn off the constant flow of information. Sherry Turkle talks about the fact that sometimes people go to their own parents' funerals and, and can't stop shutting off the information. We're going to have to make some intentional choices. I've been trying to do this myself. Stopping each time. Sometimes I'll just stop for 15 seconds, sometimes longer. Just to say, Father, I need to meet with you. Is there someone I should contact? Is there some way that I've been dealing with things that doesn't honor you? And it's just life-changing. Brothers and sisters, just life-changing. Because God tells us if, if we seek him, he will allow himself to be found. If we will seek him with all of our hearts. And I want you and me, whether you are a brand new person to the church like, like Hai was when he first came, or like Philip was, that we will seek to know more about God. Second, 
in light of that hiddenness, we have to be honest. I want, I want us all, I want you and I want us all to open up those hidden things in your heart and mind to God. He already knows that they're there. And, and I think in this, sometimes we just have to name what that sin or that problem is that we're ashamed of or we don't want people to know about those things. that we're, We need to name it because sometimes in identifying what the problem is, is the beginning of a solution. So I, I want us to, to be open and honest and those things that, are, that we try to keep hidden, open them specifically up to God. And the third phrase I put down is, we need to turn around. When we've been living, going in one direction, living uh, with ourselves in the center of our lives, we need to turn around. And whatever has been in God's place needs to be replaced by God. Um, when there's sin in our lives that we know wouldn't please God, we've got to turn it over to God. Whatever has become the first thing in your life needs to be nailed down and given to him. Including if, 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 if it's us, me, you and I make rotten gods. I'll just tell you that. Mark it down. No one and nothing else can be in God's place. If you're going to live, the first command is nothing in the place of God. Nothing. And what is the greatest command according to Jesus? Greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Bible's pretty consistent about this. We need to make sure that God is the one who's at the center and who is shaping our being. And then consistent with that, trust Jesus. And I'll use his word, follow him. Follow him. So that you might be able to know how life might be lived in ways that are consistent with him. And I've been asking all through this series that we would read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe I'll add one more thing to this. And people new to church, those are the four books in the New Testament that tell us the most about Jesus. And I've been wanting us to read it through this December. But maybe I'll add this too. Read it through several times. And the first couple of times you read it through, read fast. Come back the third or fourth time and read slowly. But read fast, because when you read fast, you get to see the whole forest and not just the trees. Do you know what I mean? So you get a real sense of this is how he dealt with people. And these were the things important to him. And this is how he handled injustice. And this is how he handled poverty and all these things. Read it through. And then follow. And then my final word. Know that this matter of following Jesus is a process. So keep going deeper. Those of us who've gone to church so many times, don't grow stagnant in your knowledge of God. It's an adventure. So get into this adventure of knowing God better. I'm just telling you, no matter how much you know about God, there's no more to be known. I've been to church my whole life, in the seminary, in the grad school. I'm telling you, I'm, this last few months, I feel like I've been learning more about God than I've ever learned. Why? Have I just been more open to it? I don't know. And if you say, I already know him, he is my father, I love him, there's more to know of God. I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And I want you to experience that love. It's an adventure, and I'll tell you, it is a great one. Because John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God at any time. We're made for him, we haven't seen him, except God the Son, the one and only. 
the one who is closest to the Father, he has made him known. And Jesus today says, that's why I've come. I've come to give you a personal knowing of God. And I think Jesus says to us the very same thing today that he said to these men long ago. When you know me, you know God. When you see me, you see God. For I am Emmanuel, God with you. I am. I am the way to the Father. Oh, may you know it's true. To change your life and to bring him glory. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Uh, let's bow our heads for a moment. If our musicians will come.